Well, welcome to this special episode of the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. My co-host this week, or today, uh, is John Den, uh, and we're going to be talking about pre-employment testing. John, John and I have had uh, quite a few conversations over the past year about employee testing, uh, and John um, had, had gotten back to me just a few weeks ago with a few interesting discoveries he made which raised a lot more questions. So this is, I'm going to flip the tables here, and I'm going to turn the show over to John to get started um, so he can tell his story. John, if you can do a quick introduction, and uh, looking forward to um, our conversation here. Well, Ira, thanks for inviting me to co-host. So I'm a Vistage chair. Vistage is uh, the world's largest CEO organization, and uh, I'm also a Vistage speaker. I have a specialty in productivity. So last year I was trying to do a white paper on assessments to help my clients and members. And I must have taken about 20 different tests. And I finally decided not to write the white paper because it was just too confusing. <laughs> so, it, well, it can um, be. I, I tell all my clients, and I, and I do try to help them. Uh, just to give you a little bit of my philosophy, but you know, people go out and they they do a search for pre-employment test or employee testing, integrity testing, personality testing, whatever search word they're using, and you know, it's confusing because there's so many different variations out there, and there's and especially with the internet, there's a proliferation of companies of anybody that can put a questionnaire on the on the internet now as a test company. <laughs> Yeah, it does seem to be that way. So my clients range, you know, the whole spectrum. I have members who don't use testing at all. I have members on the other end of the spectrum that have a favorite test, and they swear that it is the best thing since sliced bread. It's 100% accurate. <laughs> and, it's, and I got people in the middle who, you know, use, use some tests sometimes. Uh, they're happy with it sometimes. Uh, when I took my tests, I noticed that I would take the same test or the same brand, so-called brand name of the test, and I'd get different results. So the, one of the reasons that I thought this would be a great conversation was um, there was a piece in the New Yorker, I think it was back in September or October, that took a really deep dive on Myers-Briggs, and it was not complimentary. Uh, it was basically calling it pseudoscience. Maybe that was a compliment. <laughs> so <laughs> now you know here's a test that's been around a long time. Lots of people use it. It's all over the internet. So I want to get your take on on what what is the deal with the validity validity of these personality inventories? Can you give me the skinny? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and it's that's a it, it's a great question. And there's actually a number of different types of validity. Uh, that you can have. So without getting into all the details, I mean, as simply validity means uh, it, is the test accurate in what it's testing for? So, uh, you know, in Myers-Briggs defense and this defense, you know, DISC, many people are familiar with that, uh, which is, a, a, I guess, a competitor or a complementary tool to, to um, Myers-Briggs, and then you have all the other personality tests. They are really valid. I mean, what they, what they are designed to test for uh, have been proven really without a doubt to be accurate. The problem is, is then one of the other forms of validity, 
which is, is it testing for something that's relevant to, uh, and we're talking about employees here, to hiring? And that's the problem. And, you know, so the, the article, the New Yorker article, I, I didn't interview the person or, or don't have all the insights into it, um, but if they were taking it to predict that somebody was good at doing something or at, uh, you know, will they be a good leader? Will they be a good manager? Uh, will they be a success in life? Will they be, you know, should they go into uh, education or law or accounting or consulting? That's, Myers-Briggs was never designed for that. All Myers-Briggs was designed for was to show how someone responded to uh, what I refer to as the four P's, which is how do they respond to problems, people, pace, and procedures. Uh, DISC does the same thing, and I'm, I'm more of an uh, advocate of the DISC profile, the DISC profile, than the Myers-Briggs. Um, but they are both very accurate at predicting how you, me, and everyone else is going to, uh, you know, approach solving problems, approach interacting with other people, but that's it. It doesn't mean you're any good at it, and, uh, you know, the easiest thing for most people to understand is something like extroversion. Uh, people say, oh, we need an extrovert because they're good with people. That's not so. You know a lot of extroverts that aren't very good with people, and you know a lot of introverts that aren't very good with numbers and details. Um, but the assumption is that if you're outgoing and you enjoy talking with people, you must be good with them, or that if you're reclusive and sit at your desk and, and um, you know, bury your head in a spreadsheet or a book, that you must be an intellectual or really good with details. Neither of those are true. So the New Yorker article is pretty, you know, is accurate if, if that was the intent, if it's saying that it's not good at predicting how people interact with other people and how they approach problems, then um, that, that was pretty much a stretch. Yeah, that makes sense. So could you, could you kind of break down the different kinds of assessments that are around and what the differences are? Yeah, and I'll, I'll stick to, I mean, there's a million of them, but let's, if we're going to focus on yeah, broad categories. Uh, employees and your clients and companies, um, right. you know, we, I, my company, uh, which is Success Performance Solutions, I mean, we pretty much provide the gamut. So classic testing is, you know, classical technical administrative testing uh, is, you know, can they type, can they use Word, Excel, PowerPoint, uh, can they program, uh, can they enter data, are they accurate, and, you know, a lot of variations thereof. So we could call that one skills? Yeah, that's skill testing. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's, there's a number of different names for that. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure there's even a proper name other than we, we sort of lump it under administrative and technical. Um, but, you know, honestly, they're, they're pretty much commodities. Um, you know, companies can test for that because there's a right and a wrong answer. I mean, they're not multiple choice. So they're fairly easy tests to provide, but uh, if you're doing it in volume or if you want a third party to do it, then that's skill testing. And, and I, we do a fair amount of companies that have typing, and that's keyboarding. It's, you know, nobody has a typewriter anymore, but um, it, it's, you know, keyboarding, which is a skill, data entry, um, Word, Excel are probably the most popular ones that we, that we use in that category. Um, then we take a, a pretty big leap into behavior and personality tests. And um, 
there's there's a lot of confusion and again we can get into the psychometrics and if we had a hundred if we were if you and I were interviewing a hundred different psychologists um, I'm not sure we'd have uh, we might have 50 say they're the same and 50 say that that behavior and personality is different but let's lump them together uh, what while we were talking about Myers-Briggs in DISC uh, they're really behavioral tools because it's how people approach um, again people the problems people pace and procedures um, personality gets into traits um, the classic um, actually the, the the most accepted most normed uh, most validated model is called the five-factor model it's called ocean o yeah. o c a o c e a n and, and ocean uh, it stands for you know measuring how open someone is how conscientious they are, how extroverted they are, uh, how agreeable they are, and this is not a clinical term, but how neurotic they are. And the neuroticism is within a normal kind of normal activity that some of us are more more reserved and some of us are more excitable, but it's it's not a clinical aspect. Um, every tool out there, uh, or almost every tool out there, that's pretty well accepted within the business industry, uh, and it's also um, EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, does not approve tests. If you ever see that, it's misleading. Uh, and many companies say, oh, it's been approved. No, they don't approve tests. They set guidelines, and they tell you if you're doing it wrong, <laughs> if you get challenged. Um, but they, they, don't, they don't approve it. But uh, they do mention that the, that the five-factor model is actually acceptable for employment. Uh, Department of Labor does the same thing. Uh, so the most of the tools that are out there, uh, we use a tool called the CESS, we use one called Elite, we use one called Big Five, um, which used to be called Clues, but there's Caliper, there's Hogan, um, there's, um, there's a long list of other tools that are out there that are based on this Ocean model, this Big Five model. Um, that's where I would tell you know, that's where I tell clients if they're looking for a selection tool uh, to either weed people out or, or select people into the organization, uh, that should be the foundation of that. Um, a little beyond that uh, is an integrity test. Um, an integrity test are more attitudes. Uh, they're really not measuring somebody's personality, but they, they look at attitude as I describe it to people. Um, the kind of the foundation of these integrity tests is um, will show will somebody show up show up on time not steal and not get into a fight <laughs> it's it's sort of bare bones having a good attitude work attitude uh, so it measures dependability reliability responsibility safety customer service attitude um, and so there's you know the integrity test uh, which are normally lumped under personality but their foundation is a little bit different uh, and then we have cognitive testing which is becoming increasingly popular because some people as you know are super smart um, they may have they, they may be well educated that doesn't mean they're smart <laughs> there's a lot of people with a lot of degrees and and they've got that there are other people that got a lot of street smarts and then there's some people that have have both of those but they can't put it together they can't apply it under the gun 
And in today's complex world, fast-changing world, sometimes you just need people who can think quickly. And that goes all the way down to that associate production level guy or person. doesn't have to be a guy, but person. Um, that you have that a company, especially a lot of small companies that you and I work with, they don't have these massive onboarding training programs. Um, you know, they bring somebody in hoping they have the experience. They may offer them a day or two or training, maybe a week, but that's it. And then they expect them to adapt it, apply it, and go from there. Um, so it's important even for for uh, small employers when they're hiring even hourly people, they don't have to have, um, you know, geniuses. They don't have to have uh, mental-level uh, people doing the work. In fact, that's probably the last thing they want for, for tedious or routine work. Uh, but they do want to know that they have that their ability to process information fairly quickly, learn quickly, think on the fly is there, if that's a requirement, and more and more jobs it is. So I, I guess kind of across the broad spectrum, we have skill testing, we have personality behavior, we have integrity, we have cognitive testing, um, and then, you know, maybe you throw leadership testing in there, but that's typically a combination of all well, everything I just described. Well, that's that's really helpful. So... On the integrity, you know, if someone can't pass, if someone can't figure out how to beat that, that you, you really know not to hire that person, right? Now. <laughs> so. Well, that, that's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, so the, the, that, that, that was a simple statement, but there was, you, you said a lot there, John. Um, yeah, one is, the question we, we have is, we, we'd love, so many companies really, you know, they say we, we, we value values. We, we have a culture. We want honest people. It's really important that we have people who share our values. So they look toward an integrity test. The integrity test that I was talking about, which are, you know, are you going to show up, show up on time, not steal, and not get into a fight, uh, are really only appropriate for hourly associate lower-level employees. So, it, it, you know, maybe it's a supervisor, but it's a frontline supervisor. Um, the more educated and the more experienced you get, the more the tests are still valid, but people think too much when they take yeah. them. Yeah. Because they're going to say, I'm not going to tell anybody that, you know, that, hey, maybe I thought of stealing or that sometimes I play hooky or I'm late or, you know, sometimes they get like every day. Customers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean they do. It's, you know, there's, there's overt and there's covert questions. So the overt questions is, you know, I once hit a former employee. I once stole from my previous boss. And people say, why would anybody answer those? Um, and the reality is, is that there is a group of people um, that says, well, I, they will answer them honestly because they feel justified. I stole from my previous employer because it was a cheap SOB. <laughs> I mean, you, when we used to do these by paper and software, when we had to literally, you know, we, they weren't automatically processed, it was amazing what people told us um, and, and why they justified why they did that. I mean, we had, we, we, in fact, when we used to do this on paper, one of the questions used to be, I once stole $5 from my employer. And the guy crossed it out and said, no, I stole his car. <laughs> and, and well, you know, as a coach, what – yeah. As a coach, what I really want to see is that I don't want my people hiring obviously bad hires, and these tests can find them. Yeah, so, so, so the integrity tests that are out there are really designed at that level. Now, the, the second part of what you sort of, in, 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 I don't know, insinuated but inferred was, you know, can people fake them out? And that goes across all these assessments. Um, 
there's something called a distortion factor, a uh, distortion scale, and, and many different companies call it by different names. So it's, it's called good impression scale, a positive factor, a social desirability factor, a fakeability scale, a candid scale. But they're on there, and they measure how reliable the results are. So there are some pretty sophisticated algorithms. I mean, these tests are – I mean, I – tested over my company, which is a small company, we tested over a million people last year on all the different tools that we had. Um, because we have a couple clients that run, you know, they hire a lot of people over the course of a year. Uh, but the, so, so there's, there's a lot of good data out there to say some patterns, some ways that people respond are just out of whack. Now, so there, so you'll get a warning on most of these tools, and the tool and these scales will say these candid scales or good impression scales say this is too good to be true, or um, the re, the results are too varied, or um, yeah. you know the patterns that they respond. And I mean, it doesn't go into all those details, but there, and then there's two reasons why people will score will score you know will, will get one of these knockouts, and one of them is that they out and out lied. And there are some people that think that they can fake it out. Uh, the other one is that they're, they're naive. They're, they have low emotional intelligence. They're inexperienced. Uh, I always say that, uh, you know, I'm 5'9", um, but my family's all 5'4 and 5'5". Five five, so I'm, I'm a tall guy in my family. <laughs> you know, but I, could, I can't get off the I, – I couldn't play basketball. For a lot of reasons, but, you know, um, you know, I have friends that are six foot something and, you know, I'm, I'm the shortest guy among them. The problem with, with when a lot of people take this is if they've been told all their life that they're really good with people, they believe when they responded that they're really good with people or yeah. that, boy, you're so detail oriented. <clears throat> well, you may be the most detail oriented per- group of people in a group of dysfunctionally <laughs> disoriented people, this, you know, undetailed group of people. So some people just haven't, are, have been influenced because they're naive that they're better than what they are, or, they're, or they lack confidence. You know, it also measures people who don't have the confidence, too. It's all important to know, but it, so it becomes another scale. But the, the reality is, is on these integrity tests, yes, somebody, anybody can lie. They lie all the time on resumes, and they lie during interviews. Uh, so why can't they lie on the test? They can, but the one thing about an interview and a resume, you can't pick it up. On these assessments, we can actually pick up when the results are suspect. And that's all that we can tell you. They're suspect. And then you can interview the person. There's suggested interview questions that, that all our assessments provide. There's suggested interview questions that um, the hiring manager or the HR or the recruiter um, can ask the person that would reveal a little bit more. Um, and so I, when we recommend assessments, I don't do it that, hey, take the assessment instead of an interview. Um, I do the assessment is it makes a better interview. It, it, it pinpoints you on areas that you should look for. And as I said, uh, every one of our hiring tests actually provides recommended interview questions based on how the candidate responded. So, so let me ask you a question. This is some advice I normally give my clients. So look for an inexpensive uh, personality test that you can give to the applicants blind so that you don't want the hirer, the person that's going to be doing the interviewing, to see these people at all 
until they see the paper first. It's like the voice, right? You mm-hmm. turn your chair around and you listen That's to the voice, music, yeah. and if, if the singing is good, great. You know, if not, they get to go home. So what I, what I suggest is you get a certain profile for the job that you're trying to hire for, test for it, and then only interview the ones that, you know, passed the test or came pretty close, like one ring out, not three rings out, but, right. you know, close to a bullseye. Am I giving good advice to my clients? Yeah, I mean, we'd love that. <laughs> you know, as I always tell clients, they say, when, when should we use these? And I said, well, from, from my standpoint, I think you should use them as early as you can in the process because you're going to use more tests. Um, there's some, there's the only downside I yeah, push back, early, please. Yeah. But one of the downsides that you ha- that that exists to using it right at the application stage is, is really a problem created by companies it, themselves. They they've done this themselves because that used to be my recommendation. Um, the problem now is is that candidates the candidate experience is so important. And companies that require someone to complete an application and complete an assessment, the candidates, you're, those companies are going to have a huge abandonment rate. The candidates just aren't going to do it because they've been conditioned to believe that we're going we're to fill out all these applications, but we're never going to hear back from the company. And because of that, um, the, the danger of, of testing people very, very early without some type of an initial contact with, with the candidate, the candidates probably aren't going to complete the assessment. And if you have that as a requirement to move forward, then you're going to cut down your pool and you're going to weed out some qualified people who say, you know, I'm just not going to fill out all this paperwork and never hear from the company again. All right. So let me see if I can turn this into a better best practice. Um, so what if the, there's a person that is the point person but not the actual uh, decision maker or the hirer, um, and they go ahead and make sure that there's a concierge experience for the applicant but not to bias the um, who gets an interview or not? Um, what, what, I, what I found is that Typically, the extroverted alphas always make it through to the next round because everybody likes extroverted alphas. Right. They're fun to be around. Except, you know, for many jobs, that, that's not the right person to hire, <laughs> an extroverted alpha. Uh, is that – am I going down a good path for, for my advice here? Yeah, you know, this is what I've been talking about a lot. In fact, they've got, uh, you know, that was my book, The Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, and, and um, you know, speaking to SHRM groups quite a bit and other groups of conferences. And, you know, I'm talking a lot about this candidate experience. So, you, you're, so from an employer standpoint, it's what happens when we put, you know, especially with the Indeeds of the world, um, and, you know, now Google got into it, uh, zip recruiter you get you, you put an ad out and you get a lot of applications um, because you know they store them and then they just send them to you um, and then you ask them to take an assessment but then people aren't going to complete the assessment because they haven't even had contact so I agree with you're absolutely on the right path 
but saying there should be some type of communication. Now, does that mean somebody's picked up the phone? Uh, or is that an – it could be as simple as having a personalized automated, e an automated email. That is more yeah. than just saying, um, thank you for applying. Someone may be back in touch with you, um, you know, uh, or, or we only contact people who are – who, who fit our uh, qualifications, um, it, you've got to do it more personal. It's got to be, thanks very much, John. You know, we, repre we appreciate uh, you taking some time. We know your time is valuable. You have many choices, which good job seekers do have choices. Do it in some type of personal email, and your acceptance rate will go a little higher. Now, yeah. the other thing is, and again, we're talking, I know a lot of the clients are small, um, but chatbots and these text box and, um, you know, I, I encourage everybody to use some type of a, an applicant tracking software. The prices come down. Very easy to use. They have automated responsive. We, we, you know, we personalize the messages. Some of them include text. Texting's huge. I mean, um, a, a text response just saying, hey, we received it. If you have any questions, let us know. Or even the messages, congratulations, we've got your application. Looks like you might be a good fit. Even if you're not, you can lie to them. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not encouraged lying, but you, know, you should have some type of screening system in there. But even if they got an email, hey, thanks very much. We really appreciate it. Um, we'd like you to go to our next step in our process. Uh, here's a link to our assessment. Um, you will have a much much higher completion rate. So there's ways around it, um, but it, we, the, the blind, please, you know, the blind approach, please complete our application, please complete this assessment, um, just doesn't work anymore. It, you're, and, and I don't know any companies that can, can turn down quality applicants other than maybe Google and Facebook. And Facebook, these days, they may, that may, may not be the case either. <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they get millions of applications, and they only hire like 3,000 people a year. So we're really saying it's a matter of timing, you know. So you have to insert something personalized between the application and the first inexpensive screening device. Yeah. And, yeah, so and it's some, you know, some type of communication. Yeah, you just got to – and you got to do that anyway, by the way, because even if you don't use testing and you're not responding, the, repu your, the reputation goes out there. You're just not going to attract right. high-quality people. So, And, and, and that communication that. really should um, be reflective of the values of the company. So if it's a casual company, it needs to be a somewhat casual response. If it's a very formal company, a very formal mm -hmm. response. If it's yeah. – and because the – we need to attract um, our new team members just like we have to attract clients today because the labor market's so tight. So. One, one other part to that, too, is we, we sort of gloss over the application and say, okay, somebody applies, and then we invite them to take the assessment. One of the biggest hurdles companies have, I, I, just, I just listened to a, web, a webinar for the Woodworking Institute, and, you know, it's, it's sort of old school guys. I'm, I'm actually speaking at one of their conferences in a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, one of the problems that I don't know if they specifically have it, but it's a, it's a common problem. Companies' applications are horrible. And they ask for all this information up front. So, um, you know, the rule of thumb is that you should have, uh, you should only ask for uh, the information you need. And frankly, you don't even need somebody's name. If you want to do the blind screen, 
you don't need their name, you don't need their address. What you need to know is, do they have a four-year degree if you need it? Do they have five years of education? Do they need it? Do they have a valid driver's license? Are they licensed to work in the state of Massachusetts or wherever you are? Uh, there's only four or five questions that will qualify or disqualify somebody. If you have a good screening application, I'm not suggesting you hire people on five questions, but what I am saying is that you have a good screening application that has, let's say, five questions um, that tells if they're qualified or not, and if they pass that, then you ask them to do the assessment and all that's blind, then you also have a better completion rate because people are willing to answer the questions. They're just not willing to fill out you know, their name, address, the last three employers they had, the supervisor's name, the address of the company, you know, what their salary was, the reasons for leaving, their, their high school principal's name. Yeah, great point. I mean, it's bizarre. People just ask for I – just, I just did a, a, a health care organization. They had 48 required fields. They had 150 fields on every application. And they said, we're, you know, we, we, it's a terrible market around here. We just can't get anybody. <laughs> I mean, and it was, and it, it was, and and then you also, if even if you submitted your resume, you still had to fill out all the questions. I mean, they're asking, yeah. they're asking RNs and doctors if they have it. You know, um, do you have a, a high school diploma or a GED? <laughs> I mean, it's a, somebody says, well, it only takes all I have to do is click it. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's how many clicks do you have? So. You know, again, going back to what you said is common sense is, yeah, you, you probably could do the, 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 uh, the, uh, the assessment right blindly right up front, but then have a smart type of, you know, have a smart application. And a smart application is four or five questions, same thing as, as the assessment. Hey, you passed this. Uh, you know, we'd like to complete the assessment if this assessment's a good match. Um, congratulations, we'd like to schedule for you an interview, but can you either bring along your resume or, or complete our application online? And that's where you get all the additional information. You'll have a much higher acceptance rate that way. So really it's the same kind of thing as when you're building an application. You, you want the user experience to be frictionless. So if you want to get uh, a better pool of people to hire from, you need to make your hiring practices frictionless. Oh, or as frictionless as oh, possible. Oh, absolutely. That, that may even be more. I'm, I'm in the assessment business, and I can tell you these days that's probably more important because we can't, I can't sell anybody assessments if they don't have applicants. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the can, the, I, there, is, there is no question. I mean, this is a whole other episode we can get into, but th yeah. there, there's no question there's a labor shortage. Yeah. You know, when, when you have three-point-something unemployment and near 2% for – college grads um, and skilled labor, um, there definitely is a shortage of people. So, you know, rule of thumb is, is that everybody who wants a job already has a job. It may not be their, their dream job, but they're, they're already working. So in order for you to get them, it, it's got to be a better opportunity, it, it, more money, better hours, you know, better benefits, whatever it is. So they're already switching. Um, the problem, the reason that most companies don't get applications is they have, they have a huge abandonment rate when we bring on many of the clients that we bring on especially helping them with the recruitment process uh, we don't recruit or we don't staff for them but we help them create a better process um, I've seen rates as high as 92 percent the candidate abandonment meaning they they actually somebody clicks on the job ad they start their application and they don't finish it 92 percent I mean, nine, nine out of ten people who say, hey, I'm interested in working for you, 
don't finish the application. The old, the old there's a clue. It, I'm sure you've heard that. Is <laughs> well, if they're not willing to fill our application, we don't want them. It shows they don't have fortitude or, yeah. or, or resilience. I go, hey, that's sour grapes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well, that's that's not today's market. That's we're not way. telling you to make it easy, but we're telling you not to not to be silly either. Um, that's really old school. Um, so it, it, it's a changing game, but yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's gotta be a better candidate experience and we're really sensitive to candidate. Here's another thing. We're really sensitive to candidate experience. So assuming you're using the right tool, you know, whether it's inexpensive or not, you know, but it's the right tool. Um, it should be mobile friendly because again, um, oh, yeah. people are, uh, it's not only millennials, you know, we, you and I were talking before we started the show about who's the geek, you know, geeks, geezers and, <laughs> and, and so forth. Um, but I, I start most of my transactions unless I'm in my office on a smartphone. You know, if, if, if I can't pull something up, maybe I'll remember to do it when I get home. Maybe I won't. That seems to be more of a problem lately of remembering, you know, things hours from now. Um, but it's got to be mobile ready. It, it's got to be, you have to be able to complete the assessment on a phone. And a lot of these old assessments, the old standbys, um, are, were, are are still old school companies. They haven't upgraded. The assessments really can't be completed very easily without doing a lot of pinching and squeezing, and and um, sometimes they're not. Um, you yeah, know, that's just not right. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the, they're just on old websites and they're slow. Yeah. And you know, and and again, everybody who's working on a laptop, tablet, or phone relies on wireless. So the pages time out. Um, that's another problem in there. That, that's not that, that's has nothing to do with the validity assessment. But uh, again, goes back to the candidate experience. Yeah, you have to pay attention to the user experience. So yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of things. One, I want to say, by the way, I make no money off of this. Is a disclaimer. I make no money off of selling assessments. So my my interest in this conversation is strictly to find out how I can better serve my. Uh, clients and members by, you know, lifting the fog on, on this subject of assessments. So switching gears, so how, can you talk to me about how these uh, assessments can help build teams? So now you've got, you've, you've made the hire and you've got folks, you know, in the door, but how, how do these assessments help you build more effective, more productive, uh, more more um, high-performing work groups. One of our systems just last week released a compatibility function. <laughs> so if you test everybody on the team, so it could be within a department, it could be within your whole company, it could be within a small group of people, um, it actually creates a compatibility percentage. What's and that based on? It's an algorithm. You know, it needs. It's still a work in process. It's. It's. We, as human beings, we're very complicated, because we may have similar personalities, and that's a, that's compatible. But, you know, we may have different needs in life. One of us may be sixty. One of us may be thirty. Have, we can still have the same personality, um, but we have different needs. We have family things. We have personal things that go along. Uh, so there's other reasons that affect our behavior at work, which may in turn affect compatibility. But by ballparking it, by doing it the way that we've always done it, oh, I've got a gut feeling that, hey, I see, I had a good feeling when I interviewed these people where they seemed to get along with, you know, we took them out for lunch and everybody liked them. 
um, doesn't necessarily mean that trans that uh, translates into business performance. So, right. Uh, so you know you can so th you can use the assessments. I mean the traditional one that's been used. Uh, Myers Briggs has been used somewhat. DISC has been used a, a, a tremendous amount. Um, but it it comes down to con uh, a couple things. One is compatibility usually is aligned with similarity. So we like people like ourselves. We don't like people who are different. Uh, that's not necessarily a good team. No, that's how you get groupthink. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and it's, uh, so you you have to have good management. You know, the the more diverse you should have a diverse team. So going back to um, you know whatever model it is 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 have people that are good at different things. Um, you should have extroverts and introverts in the same room because the extroverts are going to talk out loud and and, and know, keep talking ideas <laughs> and create enthusiasm and the introverts are going to contemplate and think and moderate and and not need to be on center stage all the time. So you need those two groups, but they don't necessarily get along. I mean, the compatibility right. of the two are, is not very good, but you need them. So now you need a strong manager. So now is is you can have the compatibility between the individuals and the manager. So it would be more important to have a manager who's who's somewhat or um, very, you know, I'd say on the scale of somewhat to very compatible with each member, and then they have to have strong skills. Um, but we we just did a one of the first, um, uh, and I did this blindly, by the way. Um, when this function was released, I actually pulled up a randomly pulled up a team from a client of mine. And as it, it, as it turned out, in fact, I created a video of it. As it turned out, the one individual was, it's, it's measured in green, yellow, and red. And he was all, it was all reds with one yellow with, with the rest of the team. So obviously he wasn't very compatible. Every, everybody else was green and had a couple yellows, which was somewhat cautious. Um, so I, I called the client and asked, uh, I said, hey, listen, I, I just want we just released this function and just randomly, I pulled up one of your departments, just curious, is how well does this person get along? And they said, you know, we're thinking of firing him. <laughs> <laughs> and so here's the next way they could use it. They then started to pull together their other teams and looked for a match you know, if he's a good employee, if he doesn't have the skills or if there's, you know, attendance issues or something like that, then he's not a good employee. It doesn't matter where he fits. But if it's, if it's a personality issue or a behavioral issue on a particular team or a mismatch with that and the manager, um, what you can do is then pull him over and uh, preemptively start looking proactively, I guess is a better word, uh, look at how they fit. What's their compatibility? And that's what they did. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes so it's just a mismatch, you know, a behavioral mismatch. Yeah, this shows up uh, a lot in my work where you'll have a pretty big company and you've got maybe a C player and a D player. And when you take a good look at either the, the assessments or a good manager's gut, um, you, f you realize if you swap the two, you might end up with an A player and a B player because they're just in the wrong seats. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, so, and I so think again, that's maybe the biggest opportunity out there right now for employers to solve their hiring crisis is to 
look at underperforming or barely performing individuals and see if they're just in the wrong chairs and swap them out. Yeah, so, I mean, just, and just to give you an idea, because I know, you know, everybody's sensitive to cost and everything, and, you know, within the one, we have a couple different systems, but in the one system that has this team fit compatibility report, um, you know, you, could, you can test a team of 10 people. Um, they each, you know, you, you each have an individual report, and, and the reports, um, are, again, are, are typically used for pre-hiring, but there is some management suggestions, and, you know, there's some tips in there, so there is some value to, for everybody to get one. Uh, but more importantly, from a management standpoint and a compatibility standpoint, um, you know, if, if everybody completed these and they take 10 or 15 minutes to complete, you can uh, then run this team compatibility report. Um, I mean, you're looking at maybe at an investment of $500 to test everybody and get the report. So, I don't, I don't so then you could reshuffle all your teams if you felt like yeah. it. Or you bring in new people and you find out how it's going to work. You know, do, do, yeah. So there's two different parts here. Do they, are they compatible by behavior, and are they also compatible by skill? So if, if you have a team that let's say we measure using the ocean and let's say you have a lot of people who are, are un, low conscientiousness does not mean they do things illegally and immorally. <laughs> they just tend to think outside the box. They don't always follow the rules. They're more innovative. They use rules as guidelines. Right. Those creative. Highly yeah, conscientious right. is, black, is right. more black and white. So, right. so let's say that you're looking to have more adherence or more compliance or you're looking for somebody to lead the safety or compliance component of that department. Um, but everybody on the team is, has low conscientiousness. Then yeah, that's a problem. you automatically know you're going to bring in somebody who has um, – that you, you're going to want to have somebody with high conscientiousness. But then you can look at what are the other components that go into that. So are the, you know, So if you had an introvert who's – low conscientiousness, that may have low compatibility with the team. But if you had somebody who was high conscientious or I, uh, that was more extroverted and had um, higher conscientious, well, then they're going to be a better communicator and they may share that. So there's things you can look for, and you, you don't just get an overall score with this. We can, we can do compatibility by scale, and therefore you can start looking at people who have certain skills um, and see how they match up. Yeah, this is really interesting because we're getting to something else we've talked about previously. So there was a study done where uh, school children were assigned to a teacher, and the teacher was told these were high-performing children, and then another set of children were given to a different teacher and said these are uh, children who need extra attention because mm -hmm. they're low performing. Yep. And then at the end of the school year, they tested the children. And as you might expect, the high achievers tested higher and the low achievers tested lower than the average. The Pygmalion. But, Pygmalion. but uh, yeah, the Pygmalion effect. So the, 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 the punchline is, of course, the students were chosen at random. And uh, the only factor that was different was that the teacher the teacher's bias that these are smart kids I have to step up my game or these kids are under performers and no matter what I do it's not going to turn out well 
And so uh, I guess the high performing is called Pygmalion and the low performing is called, uh, I guess, the uh, Golem effect, I guess. So here, here's the thing, though, I see it in the workplace with clients. Once you start using all any of these tools that we've been talking about for this time we've been together, and someone starts to gain some confidence that these things actually do work, I think there's a compounded effect, and part of it's the Pygmalion effect, that, wow, this really is working. And because of the bias of the person then believing it works better, whether it does or not, it will start to work better because there's an infection, it's an infectious confidence that these are good tools. Mm-hmm. And in my book, uh, Drumbeat Productivity, I, I have a, one of my favorite lines in the book is to be a big fan of small tests. Be a big fan of small tests. So all of these things we've been talking about, you, you test it and you get some success and you start getting up on the, uh, you start moving up the upward spiral. And things just start getting start getting better around here, you know, and, and people's attitudes are better and they're more confident with the decisions that their bosses are making and mm-hmm. uh, the team gets some wins and it's, you know, it's really uh, great stuff. Whereas the flip side of the coin is all of these uh, great things that can be tested, if the person you're going to assign it to has a bad attitude or let's say a closed mindset – not an open mindset. Uh, it's probably none of the stuff's going to work, probably because they'll make sure it doesn't work because yeah. oh, they're not vested in the success. Yeah. So it, wow. I mean, in the time we've been together, uh, we've covered like I don't know how many variables. I mean, way over twenty. A lot of territory. And, yeah. And and there's one other there's one other thing, I, and I know we're, we're we're running out of time here, so. Um, Behind all this, and I, and I, I wasn't sure that's where you're going with the Pygmalion effect. Obviously, that's more intuitive, and, and it creates a sense of optimism or, hey, this is really working or, or it's not working. Um, but behind all these tests, there's, there's, there's data. I mean, the, the reality is, is at one time, the psychological tests were interpreted by a psychologist independently, so it was still his opinion. And then, you know, it got put in the software, but there was nowhere to get the software out. Now you have all this data. And, Big data, you know, lots you know, of data. We don't know who, as I always tell clients, is we don't know who you test. I mean, we know who you test. I don't know who you hired. I don't know how well they're doing. But if someone could give us the data, I mean, we can export the data into a spreadsheet and give it to a client, or the clients can give us and say, listen, we hired, um, you know, we tested 100 people. We hired these 40 people. Um, you know, these 20 did really well. We'd hire them again. These 20 we, we hope would, would quit or go away. Um, you can start looking for patterns and then you can figure out, you know, which of the scales or, you know, which of the, te- are the tests actually working or not working. Um, there's always, there's always something in there that's informative. Companies just don't use it. They look at the score. They go, well, this person was 82% and it says we should hire them and they didn't work out. It, it's like there was, there was too much data. There's so much data behind there. Um, that uh, is really valuable, which is moving toward the world of analytics and big data, you know, and, and companies don't have to be in the big data space, but there's some really basic data that people have. And when they do it, it works. It really, it, it really does work and it doesn't take 
it's not expensive, it's not time-consuming. Um, and again, we work with systems now uh, for a long time. We couldn't get the data out of a system, so it, it was done manually. Um, right now, I, I, in, in literally in 60 seconds, I can have all the data exported into a spreadsheet. So, setting expectations. I, I read something on Sherm that said this might be somewhat old data. I'm thinking maybe it might be five years old already. That what you can expect from all of these tools is that you can get uh, from a one and two success in your hiring, which is basically a coin flip, to to about two out of three. Mm-hmm or not quite two out of three, by using all these assessments. Do, do you think that's still valid today after five years? Or? You know, well, it's actually way older than five years. Um, because Is it? it it's, it's based on the Schmidt and Hunter model uh, studies, which are about 30 years old, and then wow. they were redone in the wow. early 2000s. Um, and it was done on reliability, the reliability of testing. Now, they're still, they still hold up because the studies that have been based on that, use those as baselines, still come up with those similar numbers. So, okay. the, so the, sort of the rule, yeah, so it, it's, it's pretty well-founded research. The rule of thumb is that, um, that people throw out there, um, and, and again, it's not exact because it's based on a reliability, not a percentage, but the reality is, is that most interviews are just slightly better than flipping a coin. Now, if you're a really good behavioral interviewer, you've, you've done the training, you watch for body language and tone and the words people use and you ask the right questions and you're a good listener, there's not many hiring managers that are that or even recruiters. No, in fact, we're going to be having a seminar on that in one of my, in, uh, one of my Vistage groups uh, yeah. this year just yeah. because I thought that was a really cool thing. Yeah, it, it's not easy to do. I mean, we're no, just, it's not. as humans, and you don't have the time. I mean, you know, job seekers get more training on how to be interviewed than managers do it how to interview. Um, so if you're not doing it all the time, it, it's a challenge. So r- the average is that um, that an interview an interview alone is is just slightly better than than rolling the dice. You know, fifty fifty. So it's like fifty two percent. When you add testing in there, it goes up to, uh, depending on the type of testing, whether it's integrity, behavioral, cognitive, um, it actually goes up to somewhere between 68% and 80%. Success rate. So, yeah, I mean, the numbers that you gave is that you you basically, if you – if you interview, you know, you've got a one in two chance that you, which is 50-50, um, that you're going to hire somebody, um, the right person, uh, if you do the traditional interview application re- uh, reference checks. Uh, when you start adding uh, an assessment in there, you're going to increase that, you know, to two out of three or higher. So, you know, as a business which coach. significant I, for dollars, by the way. I mean, when oh, well, that was, that's exactly where I was going with this. This is ROI. I mean, if a, new, if a failed hire costs a company, and you can figure it out, but let's just use a round number, forty grand. Yeah, and you well, can, even from an associate level, I mean, as a, as the most recent Sherm number is forty one hundred. That's for an associate. Forty one hundred for a bad hire. Yeah. So that's the the cost of replacing that person. Forty one hundred. Yeah, and, and you know, there's all of different more ways line, line level. Is that replacing it? Is that hiring? Yeah. I say, well, it doesn't cost as much to hire. You know, we, we do a bulk ad. Is our, you know, indeed, it's okay. Free. Fair enough. Yeah, but so for a line person, there's opportunity costs. There's training costs. There's yeah. 
I was talking. talking more about this. I was talking more about the mid-level supervisor. Oh yeah, well, that, that, but, well then you go back to top grading, and it's like yeah. you know, then, then it's X times. It's not yeah, even a right. percentage of it's X times. So. Yeah. All right. So at forty-one hundred, let's you know if you're doing a hundred hires and twenty of them uh, turn out to be good after you start doing this, that's eighty grand. And I mean, you're not going to spend that on assessments. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we can, I mean, just to give you an idea, um, you know, for a company of a hundred people, um, we can do an unlimited use license. They can test everybody in the company, everybody hire. And again, assuming they, they hire a lot and they have high turnover. Um, it, you know, it's like, well, hopefully the, t- hopefully the turnover would be lower after the test. Yeah. Right. But initially, it, you know, it, right, initially, uh, right. It, let's say it'll run anywhere between, um, let's say 2000 and $3,500. Okay, so let's that's pick it, a high for the year. At thirty-five hundred a year, they can test an unlimited number of people. Now, that's for a wow. small, you know, a, a company under a hundred people. Um, the the reality is, if they save, if we can save them one person, it's yeah, right, yeah. they're ahead. That's a t- but it's, it, it, to you and I mean, I'm you know, you agree, but that's not always an easy sell for me. <laughs> you know, people, well, how you do know, we know it's going to yeah. work? You know, and, and boy, we test a lot of people. But the reality is, if you if you go if you look at the studies, and most people don't really figure out what it costs them to for turnover, but um, it's you know it's it's out there. I mean, I I, forget, I mean this is 20 years ago. Bur, uh, it was either Burger King or McDonald's said that it costs 3,500 dollars per per burger flipper. Yeah. You know? So, you know, and, and, you know, you're in a small company and you hire, a, you know, whether it's a receptionist or a production line person, uh, a driver, uh, all they need is one accident. All they need to do is make one customer unhappy. Um, uh, all they do, need to do is waste your time as a manager um, and, and the cost is paid. So, yeah, you know, the, 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 the cost is it just dropped, you know, thanks to the internet. Um, it's made it much more competitive and much more available, much more deliverable. Um, so there, you know, we have tools that cost $500 a person too. So, um, Oh, that leads me to one last question. So I'd also noticed when I was trying to do that white paper, that there's a lot of um, looks to be new companies with new technology. Looks like there may be startups, maybe well-funded that are selling tests for like, you know, $12. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, some my, of my, have a client paying a, du- a buck and a half. I mean, but they're on a, they're, it's a big license. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, they have a big license, but they hire, they, they test okay. thousand people last year. So, well, where, where I was going with this was, um, the department of labor, I read somewhere recently that the department of labor is cracking down on, uh, let me back up one more time. Is this is this a correct statement? There are tests that you can use after the hire, and there are tests that you can use before the hire. But the ones that'll get you in a lot of trouble is if you use tests before the hire that aren't good tests. Department of uh, Labor, EEOC. All so here, here's what here's what here's how people get sued. That's a good. I'm glad you brought that up. Here's how people get sued. If they use a test that the, the rules that DO, the Department of Labor and EEOC set, that the test has got to be valid, 
and we'll, we'll, we'll take for granted that most tests out there actually do test for what they say they're going to test for. The second is, is it valid for the job? Is it appropriate? So if you're testing for leadership skills for a production line worker, that's not appropriate. There, and that's one of the major case laws that's always cited that says, see, we don't want to be sued by them. Well, what the company did was they, for the right reason, they wanted to test all their, their people coming on a production line to see if they had potential for leadership because they knew there was going to be a leadership shortage in the future. So they wanted to hire people who were both good production workers and had the potential for leadership. Um, unfortunately, by doing that, they discriminated against the protected class. And they also would end up with all leaders and no followers. <laughs> yeah, well, right. They weeded out you know, all the minorities. Um, and they, would, they, they weeded out young women, blacks, Hispanics. Yeah, well, that's just not right. Okay, yeah. so the test was valid. They just used it. In, they used the wrong yeah. test for the wrong, for the right reason. They used the wrong test. Well, the, this is what I'm getting at. I so mean, they, I've they had, could have done that afterwards. They could have hired the person and then put them in a leadership program. So, yeah. the, so the the rules of thumb is that I tell people: one is make sure it's reliable or valid, which. Well, and, and again, I'm going to make an assumption that most tests, even these new startups, is, are, they, they do go through a validity test. One is the reliable. That means if you test somebody today and you test them next week, you're going to get a similar result. Uh, if it's not, then don't use it. That, that, that's the basics of it. The next thing is, is it job appropriate, which is what we were talking about with leadership there. And you know, I don't care if it's a typing test or a leadership competency test. Is it, is it appropriate for that level of employee? That's where companies get, and that's one area of companies getting problems. The second is they don't use it consistently. That they use it, you know, I, I don't know, I, I actually don't know a company that would be this bold, but there's probably some out there. Uh, we, we only use it on millennials, or we only use it on um, minorities. You know, we only use it on blacks or women, you know, to make sure that they, they're going to fit here. No, you can't do that. If you're going to do it for one, you have to do it for all. But you don't have to do it for the entire company you can only test salespeople, you can test production people, you can test warehouse people, you can test office people. Um, you just have to be, make sure you're using the appropriate test and you're using it consistently in the process. And even if your nephew applies, he better take the assessment. So there are a lot of, as a coach, there's a lot of landmines here for uh, my clients and members to step into so as a closer, as a closer, what what is your um, recommendations to not step on any of these landmines? Well, the landmine, I mean, they're they're pretty easy. I mean, there are landmines, but there are landmines to the way people are doing it now. So if you do, if you hire without an assessment, you're relying strictly on an interview on, on a on an interview, which we already have accepted as low reliability. The coin flip. Uh, yeah. So by the way, the by the Department of Labor, and there is a document out there that states this, so I'm not making this up. The Department of Labor states, which does the EEOC falls under that, states that the application and the interview are assessments. So you can't ask things that you shouldn't be asking for on any of those. But even with an interview, it's got to be reliable. You've got to ask valid questions. They've got to be job appropriate. And 
now you have a million variables because not only not only may the manager or the person asking the questions not be highly skilled at evaluating the response, but the people giving them may be lying. So, I mean, the, the interview is just strewn with problems. So the current method of doing it is so subjective and so vulnerable, um, and there are more claims of discrimination against companies that are just using the interview. Uh, reference checks one time were valid. Now it's very difficult to get an accurate re reference check. Uh, so there are landmines, but there's landmines on, on the, uh, there's risks and benefits on the way people are, are, are doing it. Avoiding using an assessment is not necessarily the safest play. Um, the rules of engagement are really pretty simple. If you're working with a reliable company, uh, you know, find somebody who's reliable that that understands testing, um, and they're going to use valid, reliable products uh, of companies. The next part is is just using it consistently and getting good support. I mean, we, you know, I don't care if it's a production worker or the next CEO of a company. We tell every single one of our clients to call us with a question. If if the results, which are very transparent and very easy to interpret. If you need help, if you want support, just pick up the phone or email us, and we're there. That, and that keeps people out of hot water. So, you know, we've got the roadmap. We know where all the landmines are buried. Uh, and, you know, we and, – and there's other colleagues like myself that uh, – other companies that do a good job too. Um, but, you know, it's, there's a lot of people that don't. And uh, so it, it's pretty easy to stay safe. I've been in the business 24 years. I've never even had a client threatened with a lawsuit. Well, that's telling, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and some of it just gets overblown. I mean, it is media. Um, you know, when, when a case hits the headlines and, oh, and somebody... Fear sells. It's, uh, yeah, it's big news in HR. Um, yeah. But if you look and say, does, you know, how often does it happen? I can't tell you the last case that was a headline, and I, I get so much email. I can't tell you the last time I saw somebody that lost a case for that. Now, I'm sure there's a lot that are settled, but when you talk to the employment law attorneys, they'll always tell you the settled ones were people used them you know, inappropriately. So let me summarize, because I like to do this with uh, my groups and Members, so I'm going to try to come up with the three things that jumped out at me in our conversation. So I think the first one was by using these tools, you are able to build uh, much stronger teams by using a process of um, trial and error and paying attention to the kind of data that was not available uh, you know, 20 years ago. Is that, did I get that one right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, a, that's an excellent benefit. So my second one, my second big takeaway was um, this, I think these have gotten much more affordable over the years. Is that correct? I mean, oh, I remember yeah. hearing tests that were like way expensive. You know? Well, the, the not, yeah, not to, to put this into another kind of discussion, but um, yeah, I mean, part of it is we still have clients occasionally that call us and they're using a psychologist. I'm not, I'm not bashing psychologists by any means, but they'll have them interviewed. It takes three to four weeks to get a result. They're interpreted and they're charged thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah, um, well, that's what yeah, I'm getting I mean, at. So the price has really come down, right? Well, I mean, legitimately, we have we have tools. I mean, we have tools that cost a few dollars, 
and we have tools that cost. I mean, I have one that costs five, you know, approximately five hundred dollars. Um, but you know, it's it, those those are not used on, on hourly production people. No, you, no, no, no. Your, your next CEO, maybe. I assume that would be right. A C-suite just before you're going to make the yeah. offer, and you just want to do one last really good test because that person's the one that's going to cost you $100,000 to replace if it's a bad I'll, I'll tell you another place those are used. Interesting enough, they're used when there are both internal and external hires. So this, this may be appropriate for a number of your clients. So let's say that you've got a number of people that are, are, are um, um, in line for a position, but you're not sure that they're the best person. You know, you've groomed them, you're getting ready, do you invest? Where do you hire somebody from the outside? How do you make the process fair? Hmm. And they use assessments. Yeah, yeah, right. And they, use, they have a third party do the evaluation and, and help them guide the interview process. So, so but you're right on, on that second point as well. I think my third point, as a takeaway from this conversation was um, that the assessments give you the ability, you don't have to use it, but it gives you the ability to really find people who are suited for a position without having the bias of the first initial screener or first initial hirer um, getting it wrong because one person had a nicer smile or uh, whatever it is that biases people uh, face to face, that if you can somehow work into the process um, some kind of a blind aspect to get the people that really do qualify for the position to be the ones that are competing during the interview process, that you will get a much better chance of that person succeeding and also I'll tie this to one other kind of like corollary point um, there's a lot of a lot of literature out there now that says that diverse work groups really are far superior you know you, you, you want to have uh, a good mix of people and I write about this in my book drumbeat um, you know a newbie you know, someone who can legitimately ask dumb questions without actually appearing dumb or worrying about their status because they have an excuse, I'm new. <laughs> you know, so let me ask the stupid question that happens to be, of course, the thing that breaks open the entire problem because everybody else, it's like the forest and the trees. Uh, we don't have time now, but i got a funny story about having a newbie in every group. But that's the kind of thing you can get from these tests is that you can, you can intentionally build diverse groups. And uh, again, no, I think I think that was it. Actually, yeah, no, absolutely. You can you can uh, which which sort of is a corollary, I guess, to your first thing about better team fit. But you build a more diverse group. Um, but you know, as and I, I, I did mention this during the during uh, our conversation, is that uh, assessments should be part of the process, not the process. Of course, so, right. you know, kind of right. rule of thumb is uh, application, resume, any other information, social media background, whatever you get is maybe makes up one-third. Um, the interview is weighted one-third, and the assessment's weighted one-third. So you got oh, a good balance. So we're, we're not discounting the, you know, the intuition and the good feeling and all that, but uh, you got some uh, countermeasure there. Uh, and the other way to look at it, too, and, and again, I mentioned this, was um, it does enhance the interview. If you have information that 
you're either going to use the information from the assessment to verify what your feeling was or to challenge it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, that's, that's the best approach. And if you can get that for a few bucks, uh, yeah, right, exactly. yeah, then do it. And uh, intuition actually can be really a great part of the process, but it needs to come last, not first. <laughs> well, well, it's got to be somewhere. I, I don't know if it's the first. Yeah, if you've got two candidates it, it at the, at the very the, end. It shouldn't be the whole thing. Which is well, that's what I'm right. What I'm getting at is that you know you got two candidates, two finalists, three finalists, and they're all. I mean, it's all six of one, half a dozen of the other. But the hirer, the boss, you know, the person that's going to have to work with the person, the new person, has a rapport with one of the three, and all other things being equal, go for it. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with intuition at the last stage. It's just not in you know the whole thing or, you know, or the initial screening is is dangerous that way, but apparently we could talk about this all day. Oh, we could, we could, we, 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 and we, apparently we have. I, I appreciate it. Hey, um, so you've been listening to a special episode of the Geek Skeezer Googleization Show. I'm Ira Wolf, and my co-host today, or actually, I guess my host, and I was the guest, uh, <laughs> was John Den, uh, Vistage Coach. Uh, John, do you want to give um, away for? people, members to contact you, reach out? Sure. My website is uh, drumbeatproductivity.com. That's drumbeatproductivity.com. My book, Drumbeat uh, Productivity, is available on pretty much every every way books are normally found. It's also an audible book, so you can listen to it in the car. And uh, I'm south of Boston, so and I have uh, no, multiple Vistage groups. So if anyone wants to get a hold of me, uh, you can get to me through drumbeatproductivity.com. And uh, we'll have to get you on the on our live show, um, which is Wednesdays, by the way, w4cy.com, 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, or we can uh, you can get it on podcasts. So we're on, I think, over 20 podcasts now, including iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, you can watch, uh, listen to any of the Geek Skeezers and Googleization episodes, but we'll have to get you on as uh, one of the authors and talk about drumbeat productivity. Well, I, I'll take that as an endorsement. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you a link. That's so, great. I appreciate Thanks it, for having me on. Thanks Ira. very much. Sorry. It was uh, it was a good day. You're you're a great uh, you're you're a good host co-host. So well, thank I, you. I appreciate that. It was a good conversation, and hopefully everybody will get a lot of value out of this. I appreciate you taking time to speak with me today. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. You've been listening to a very special episode of the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. You can listen to us live each week on W4CY.com. That's W4CY.com. We're subscribed on your favorite podcast.